want to start by saying uh, thank you for all your prayers, comments, uh, wishes that we got this week. I hear people say that stuff doesn't matter. I don't understand it. Um, it does, and we felt peace, and thank you. Uh, this morning, I want to take us to a different parable. Not the whole thing. There's too much going on there. I'm going to take you to a simple little part of it. Uh, I, I stumbled across this preparing for the service, I thought I knew what I was going to do, and then I ran across this thing that somebody was doing in the parable that didn't make sense. It didn't make sense for their culture. I'd never heard anybody talk about it before. I'd never heard anybody write about it before, and it really irritated me, but I didn't have time to look into it. A week later, I had some time on my hands, and so I decided I was going to go looking for this. Is there anything being said about this? Because it just seems so um, wrong. I didn't understand why it was happening. And I found some stuff pretty quickly, which led to more questions, which led to more information, which brought us to this morning knowing, man, I have to talk about this. I have to talk about this because if I were to put my, my finger on one of the biggest failings that we make as people, it's living our lives based on the wrong view of who God is. Um, we say, God loves you. We say, God loves me. But it's that picture in the back of your mind of how God loves that shapes how you're going to live and think. It has all kinds of implications. For some people, God is like um, a fun, permissive grandparent. Like, just do whatever you want. It'll be okay. No big deal. Because that's what love is. And so that's how they see him. For other people, God is an angry old man who screams, get off my lawn, right? He's just shelling out the rules all day long, and that's all he does. That's all he cares about is the rules. Other people think God is a little bit of a genie, and they have been trying to figure out the formula of how I live. I've got to live in such a way to make this genie happy so that I can get what I want out of life. I can get my prayers answered that he'll respond to me the way I need to do, and so I'm trying to figure out the stuff I have to do to rub the lamp. And still others look at God as this person who keeps track of the good and bad on a scale. And when you get too far on the bad, the punisher comes. Like he's going to rain it down on you. And you assume that what's happening in your life that's bad must be because you did something wrong and now God's making you pay. And we have all of these odd pictures that we have. Where do they come from? Well, I mean, one of the places our culture talks about God in a lot of unhealthy ways. You see it in music. You see it in movies. You'll hear it in common conversations that you have with friends. They have these pictures of God. And we never stop to investigate. We never stop to ask, is that a right picture? And so we end up kind of adopting wrong ways of thinking about this. I think another thing that happens for many of us, we have fathers. We have dads. And so when we hear that God is a father to us, um, some of us had fathers that were horrible. And we kind of transpose that onto God and we're like, man, if he's anything like that, I'm not sure I want anything to do with this God. And even those of us who've had good parents, they weren't perfect. They had failings. There's holes, right? And if your view of God is based on what you've seen, you can end up with problems. What if your view of God was based on the way he saw himself. See, we're going to look at a parable where a father 
is one of the key players in the parable. And this father does something that was outlandish. In their culture, it would have been like, what just happened here? Now, what was funny, once I found that, and I realized this is really crazy, the father would never do this, I started to notice that everything that father did in the parable was opposite of what their culture expected. I mean, a parable is told to be shocking, but this would have been shocking, shocking, shocking. I mean, they they would have just been riveted with it, and they would have gone away going, what kind of father is this? Which I think may be one of the things that Jesus was trying to do. He had a central point. And what we're going to look at doesn't change that central point. All it does is deepen it. And when, he, and when he told the story to shock, he was hoping people would go away and think about that and process what was happening here. And if one of the things they thought about was the image they had of God as a father, they would have had to reevaluate everything. And that's what we're going to find here. I hope that as you sit and you listen and you see what unfolds in this story, that you'll evaluate your picture of how you see God, and you'll let it be adjusted to the way God wants to be seen. Now, in this um, story, the prodigal son, it's unique. It was told about God's compassion but part of what makes it unique, it was, it, it was told about real-life situations that were happening, which was surprising to me. The first time I had ever heard of anything like that, I was in Israel. And um, we were on the Decapolis side of Israel. So there's a Sea of Galilee, there's a Dead Sea. And on the west side of all of that were 10 Greek cities. And we went over there. And we walked into this one city that they had um, excavated that was in ruins. And I remember the guy saying, our guide, he said, it's in this region that Jesus most likely would have told the story of the prodigal son. And I was like, why? What would this region? Because he said, because they experienced it over here all the time. And and look at this city. Uh, I want to show you pictures of it. This, This is the city as we walked in. That was the main area there. This all looks small. This thing is vast. They didn't uncover it all. But this thing um, was incredible. It had public bathrooms with running water. One and two washed out after you were done. Like, you didn't know that happened, right? They had public baths. They had an amphitheater where you could go and watch plays. There were chariot races. This Go to city level. Let's go down to the... This, um, this was destroyed by an earthquake. But you see how grand this thing would have been? Everything would have been sparkled. This all would have been flat and beautiful. Off to this side over here, there was a marketplace. Incredible marketplace. And look at the kind of stuff that was on the floors. They walked on this like it meant nothing. It was just grand. And when you tried to imagine the splendor of this city, it had to be staggering. Beautiful. And this was part of the problem. Because in the same area of the world, there were small Jewish towns. 100, 200 people. Dirt floors, not that. Nothing to do but watch sheep and goats. And you could hear from the big city the roars of crowds as they laughed at the plays, as they cheered for the chariots. 
And these, these young men would believe that they were missing out on something, on real life, real living, and they would walk away and go to the city. That's, this story is based on that. It's based on those real happenings that were happening for people. It's just that the story that Jesus told takes so many twists and turns along the way, they would not have recognized it. It would have been so shocking to them. So let me, let me bring you up to speed with the story of the prodigal, and then we'll slow down when I get to the part that I want to spend some time with. So um, the story goes, a young man, we think teenager, don't go there, that he was just younger than his older brother, could have been 20s, 30s, even 40 years old. The younger son decided that he was missing out on life. Real life was happening in the big city. And he went to his dad and he asked for his inheritance, which is shocking. You would not have done that with your dad still alive. It was insulting. It was demeaning. It shamed the family. And the father said yes quickly, which would not have been done. Would not have been done in their culture. There would have, there would have been a tussle. The older brother should have gotten involved to stop this. He didn't. And so, so the family would have actually had to sell property, sell animals, in order for them to give a liquid payout of that, of that estate, it would have cost them. So they give this guy all this money, and off he goes. Doesn't invest it and live off the interest? That would have been smart. No, he goes and through bad choices and wild living, blows it all, and he ends up a slave working on a pig farm. We'll, t we'll tell you how we know he's a slave later on. He's a slave working on a pig farm. And the story seems to indicate that he comes to his senses and that he's repentant. He's not. The way the Hebrew writes it is that he comes up with a scheme, a plan, because he still wants something out of life. And he's going for what he wants. He wants food, and he believes he can get that from his dad if he just comes up with the right way to do this. And so he hatches a plan, this seemingly repentant kid, and he heads home. He's broke. He's hungry. And he knows what's waiting for him when he gets home. Everybody knew. Everybody knew that there was a ritual that awaited somebody in his state when he got home. And so when he got home to the gates of the city, the elders would have been called. The elders would have called the whole community in and a meeting, um, a ritual ca called keats, kevets, would have been, I, I, I swear that's how it's pronounced. I listened to it five times looking at the screen going, that can't be right, but I'm going to trust them, all right? And that's what it said. Now, here's how the ritual went. Now that they had everybody in place, the, um, the elders would hold up a clay pot, just like, not like this one, right? Probably like that one. This one was made in China. Um, and I need you guys to close your eyes in the front row if you would. Close your eyes for just a second. And that's what they would do. They would look at the kid, this person, however old he was, and say, you have broken relationships with your family. 
You have broken relationships with this community. This is what this looks like. This is what you've done to us. And at that point, after this was done, after this ceremonial breaking was done, they lit into him. Kids would start mocking him. The elders in the community would start going after him, telling him what, how kind of a horrible person he was. And, uh, and they were going for it. Listen, this, this ritual existed. It's not mentioned anywhere. They didn't need to mention it. Everybody knew about it. It, it existed because they'd had enough people who went away and then tried to return. And they had decided, we don't want this. We don't want our kids going away. We don't want our young men going away. We don't want people doing this. So we've got to come up with something that deters this. And so they decided that a shunning would do it. And that's what this whole thing was about. And they would look at this this person who's come back into their community, and in essence, they said this to them. The relationship you had with us is so broken, it can't be put back together. There was one person, one, who could advocate for that child or that young man. Mom. She could come and plead his case to be included back into the community, to have mercy. But from everything I can read, it was just part of the ritual because they had no intention of ever listening to her. At the end of this, ripping this kid to pieces, the relationship would end. He would be removed from the family. He would be removed from the community. And they would have nothing more to do with him. This is why he had a plan. Would it work? I don't know. I don't know. But it's better than anything anybody else had had. And his plan is detailed in Luke 15, 19. He says this. He's going to say a little bit more. Um, He's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And then he's going to say this in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one Of your hired servants. It's not bad. I mean, because if the community is going for abject humiliation, they could lock this guy into abject humiliation in front of everybody. And who would want that? So this might actually be a plan that could work. We don't know. He thinks that he's going to be able to stand in front of his father at some point and make this plea. So he thinks he's going to get further than most other people would. But before he could, verse 20 happens. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Compassion is the central idea of this parable. The father is filled with compassion. Then he says this. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You want to know the part that bothered me? He ran to his son. I I couldn't find anywhere where you would see a matriarch doing that sort of thing. And it started making a list of why in the world that would be included in the story. And I came up with three possible reasons that the father's running. One... 
He loves his son so much that he wants to emphasize how much compassion he has, so he runs. Could be legitimate. Two, he knows what the son is headed into, that he's about to go into a community who's going to reject him and throw him out, and he wants to get to him before that ritual takes place. He runs. Or three, he did it to be shocking. Well, why would it be shocking? If you've been at Waypoint for a little while, you've heard me talk about how clothing in the ancient world told a lot of the story. It actually told you about the class that somebody had. So in ancient Rome, if you had money, you wore this long gown and had somebody carry it behind you, making it obvious that there's no way you could work. You couldn't work in that. Slaves wore these little things so that they could bend and move and do all that. And everybody knew, based on what you wore, where your position and status was. A matriarch in this time, a patriarch, excuse me, thank you. My wife just said, stop calling him a girl, right? The patriarch would have had this long gown. See, he had a gown on. It was really confusing me. And, and for him to run... He would have had to reach down, pick it up, and take off. And by doing so, he revealed his ankles and his legs. Which in their culture was considered naked. You would never do it. It was humiliating. It was scandalous. And this guy is running down the street with his gown hiked up. Why is all of this happening? See, I think it's possible that all three things are true. I think the people listening to this story had to be going, this is the most crazy thing we've ever heard. What is Jebediah doing running down the street naked? Right? The dude's streaking through our town. What's happening here? Well, it would have drawn attention. I think kids would have followed this sort of thing, right? (laughs) We got to see how this unfolds, right? They didn't have pictures, but they were going to describe this to everybody that they could see. And what would they have seen? They would have seen a father reach a son who had betrayed him in every way. And what does he do? He embraces that kid and he kisses that kid. Before the kid ever asks for any reconciliation, it's offered. He's on him. I love you. I want you to know this. And and look at what happens with the son. This dad who's standing up for him, saying, I'm not going to let you be ridiculed. I'm not going to let you be thrown out. I'm not going to let you face all of that. I've come to your defense. This is the speech. He's been practicing. Verse 21, he says this. Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is not the speech he practiced. Let's put the two speeches up. The one he practiced had make me as one of your hired men. And the speech that he actually gave Leaves that out. Why? See, I'm convinced in the embrace of the Father 
that kid was finally repentant for the first time. He was actually really sorry for the choices that he made. And instead of playing games, instead of a ploy now to get what he wants, all that's left for that kid is the truth. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I don't have anything to ask. I don't have anything that I want. I'm just sorry. I'm just wrong. I just crossed out of the boundaries. And this is how his father responds. Verse 22. By the way, I think his choice to run to that kid averted a disaster at the gate that was about to happen. But I think it diverted a disaster in the heart of that kid too. Who was ready to play games with the father and instead found compassion. And this is what, this is what dad does. Says to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This is significant. Told you clothing mattered. There were special robes you would recognize from the story of Joseph. A robe um, given from the family would have indicated that this son had just been given back all the rights of a son. Listen, think about this for just a minute. He took his inheritance and blew it, and now he has an inheritance again. Unfathomable, right? He was just welcomed back. The ring, what does the ring signify? Well, it had to do with his identity, this, again, was about him being part of the family, but it was more than that because you would use a ring to make contracts. you put some wax on a document, and then you would press your ring into it, and that would bind the family to that contract. So not only was he included back into the family, he was given an opportunity to represent the family. And then the sandals. The kid, that man left with sandals that day. Free men wore sandals. But when you decided that you would indenture yourself as a slave, they would take your sandals away so that people knew that you were a slave and it would be harder for you to run. So when he shows up without sandals on his feet, his dad knew that he had been a slave up to that point. But he wanted to reestablish his freedom and communicate to everybody, this is Fully free, part of my family, can represent us, put sandals on this kid's feet. And it changed the story. Band, if you would have an um, opportunity to come up right now, that would be great. I want you to get ready to play that song. See, this is the picture of God that God wanted to tell. This is the picture of a God who out of his love for us would humiliate himself. We know he would go to the cross for us. He would take on debts that weren't his and die. But in this story, he's willing to embarrass himself for the sake of that son. Did you know he felt that way about you? Did you know he had that kind of compassion for where you are right now? And all of these pictures, these images we have of God, 
where he's just this permissive God who doesn't care. He cared. He cared that the son went off and harmed his life, but he still had compassion for him. These pictures of an angry God who just yells out rules. He still has boundaries, but he does it because he loves you and he has compassion for you. That's why he says it's not because he's angry. He's not some genie. He's not somebody who's holding the scale against you. He is a compassionate God who would run to you in a heartbeat. He ran to his son who still wasn't fully repentant, but he had just moved in the right direction. See, that was the one thing God wouldn't do. He didn't force his son to come home. But when his son made the move, he was all in and all over him. See, if you understood that God was the kind of God who would run to you, I wonder if it would cause you to run to him instead. Instead of hiding, instead of fading back, instead of pretending that you might do what this song is talking about. I've carried a burden too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Yeah, I see.
maybe your view of God has been that you've made such a mess of your life that he couldn't put it back together, that nobody could. And what you don't understand is he sees the destruction, he knows the mess. But he would run to you, he would throw his arms around you, he would embrace and kiss you, pulling you back into the family if you would just turn and walk to the Father. Why won't you run, but just walk to the Father? We don't do this very often, but I'm going to just ask if, if everybody would just close their eyes right now and bow your heads. I just need to make sure that as you think about the picture that you have of God in your head,